0: Turning back this morning to the book of Nehemiah. We've come to Nehemiah chapter 7 in our journey through this book. Today we're going to do a whole chapter. <laughs> you didn't have lunch plans today, did you? <laughs> and we've got till 3, Grand Court, right? So we're in no hurry. 73 verses, <laughs> of which we're really going to spend time on about. Keep it simple. Uh, much of this of chapter 7 is actually repeated from um, Ezra chapter 2. And it's a list of those who came back with the first group from the exiles. Once the exiles were able to return, Zerubbabel led the first group. And this is just a re- rehashing or repeating of that list here. We'll look at it. Actually, we're not going to spend much time on that. But that's the essence of what we'll be touching, touching on this morning, the first few verses. You know, sometimes you see great men of faith, and you know, you see them as best as you see them. Many times, are people that we witness that we see from afar. We don't rub shoulders with them, but you know, we see people that we consider great men of the faith, and you'd like to be able to kind of rub shoulders with them, wouldn't you? Spend some time with them, maybe come alongside of them and labor for a while. I know Beth and I—we got to a point for a while that we were thinking that uh, if nothing else opens up, we're just going to move to Minneapolis and go uh, join a. John Piper's church there in, in Bethlehem Baptist and sit under his teaching for a while if nothing else happens. But the Lord brought us here and we're thankful for that as well. But sometimes you, you see these great men of faith and even looking at Nehemiah as we've studied through the book of Nehemiah, many times in the Scripture you see the, the feet of clay. Now you see the feet of clay, for example, in Moses. When he disobeys the Lord and he's supposed to speak to a stone and he strikes the stone. Uh, we see the the feet of clay in many of the great heroes of the faith. King David, uh, a godly man, a man for God's own heart, and yet we see his sin of adultery and and murder. We don't see that in some places in Scripture. Now we know it's there. But for example, in the reading of Daniel, and you know Daniel comes out, you know, shining like gold, and we don't look at the Book of Daniel and think, "Boy, look at all the mess this guy brings into his life." and Studying through the book of Nehemiah here, we don't really see much of the feet of clay in this man either. We know it's there. Uh, Nehemiah is not a man that's trying to convey himself to us as a a perfect man, but he is speaking of the things that that God placed upon his heart, the ways that God blessed and success that God gave. You know, you look at somebody like Nehemiah, you kind of wonder, does this guy ever miss a beat? And you got to think of the enemies that we've seen. You know, Tobiah and Sanballat and all these guys, they've come and they've had their plans and their tactics. They've, they've attacked from various fronts in different ways, different angles. And, you know, they're kind of back by now scratching his. heads. You know, this guy Nehemiah, does he ever even flinch you? Does he ever have a bad spiritual day? I mean, just a day when he's a little, little off guard. It's like everything that we try, it falls apart. You know, I mentioned to you back from the very beginning that Sanballat and Tobiah, you know, these guys... They're the they're the coyote on the Roadrunner. You know. Everything he tries, it just it just falls apart or blows up in his face and, and that's what it is with these guys. These guys come and they attack and they attack and they try to prevent and stop the work of God, the progress of Nehemiah, and it just, just keeps pressing on. So these guys have gotta step back eventually and you know does oh, it take what's it take to get this guy? You know, we know it's not perfect, but it really does serve in our day it serves for us as a as an excellent model of constancy, consistency in life. You know what encouragement it is to, to read a book and it and it seems like and I mean, we know it's always true in one sense, but you can look and you can read the story and you know the good guys come out on top. Now we know it's true even when even when it doesn't appear to appear to in in the eyes of, of men that the good guys win especially i mean the good guy, those who are following the lord it's good to see them come out on top you know they're not being crucified they're not being uh, killed they're not being cut in half you know they they're coming through this thing They see them come out on top not only in the eyes of god but also in the eyes of men you know the testimony of the enemies of Nehemiah when they when the wall was completed was what we saw that a couple weeks ago they realized that uh, they lost heart they realized that this was done by the help of god and what a wonderful testimony of the faithfulness of God, of God accomplishing His purposes there. Well, the wall's finished. We've seen that already. they finished this uh, enormous task. They finished it in about a month and a half. Now what? You know, what comes next? You know, is Nehemiah all right? I've got my main task done here. I've got the city secured. Is it time to sit back in the easy chair and relax? No. Nehemiah sees that the work here is not finished. He had more envision vision here than coming and building a wall. He had a vision of coming and and again placed upon his heart by God to come and, and to rebuild the city. And to do that it was important to put this wall so that there would be safety because if you build a city and you don't have a wall, you know the invaders and the enemies are going to come and you'll lose everything that you've done. So he he had the right order of things. Let's get our defenses set up. Let's build this wall, let's put up the gates where at least we are we're free from attack. But his next step is let's finish the task. And so he resumes here with the next task next task at hand. Let's begin reading Nehemiah chapter seven with verse one. Now it came about when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I put Hananiah my brother and Hananiah the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem for he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. Then I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot while they are standing guard. In other words, the habit was generally you'd open the gates to the city early in the morning so the merchants and people would come in and say, don't open the gates until the sun's up, shining, the guard is posted. Then let them shut and bolt the doors when, again, the guard is still posted there. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his own post and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. So the next issue to be dealt with is the repopulating of the city. Verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his city, who came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, not, a, not this Nehemiah, another Nehemiah, Azariah, Rehemiah, Nahumani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpereth, Bigvi, Nahum, and Bana. And we're going to stop right there. That's enough names. And what you have here in verses 7 and, seven and following, this is the list. Of the genealogy record that they found of those who came back 90 years previous when Zerubbabel led the first group of exiles back to, to Judah. You now one of the, the qualities that becomes important as we think in the political sphere of a politician, somebody who's going to be in public office, it's important they have the right connections important first of all they have the connection with their constituency that they connect well with the people that they represent. That's pretty important you have somebody that's in office and you know, we think generally of, of uh, I tend to think on the federal level of our representatives and our senators there. we want someone who's, who's in contact with the people with us and even our state legislatures you know similar thing those who represent the area they need be, they need to be a people oriented kind of a person. They don't go there and lose touch. They need to maintain that connection there. They need to have a connection with people of influence. The fact of the matter is, if you want to get things done, there is a political process. You need to know the right people. Other politicians, those who have been there, those who know the ropes, the decision makers. Those decisions, those uh, connections become important there. They also need to be connected with the issues. You know, what are the real issues? that need to be dealt with. And only they know what the issues are, they also need to know how to address those issues. We understand they need to have some sense of a moral foundation to know how to address the issues from a Christian, from a biblical perspective. So the right connection is something that's important here. Let's think about Nehemiah. Not on a political level, although he comes in as a governor here. But Let's think about Nehemiah on a spiritual level. What is it about Nehemiah? How is it that he, that he remains so constant? So consistent? So zeroed in on his task and able to accomplish that? You know, What can we glean from his life? In this? Here we come to this time of transition. What do we see here? What's he, what's he telling us? Wouldn't you like to just sit down and, and ask him? Wouldn't you like to ask Nehemiah? What's your, what's your secret? <laughs> what's your trick? Or what can I learn? Well, we can't do that. We can't sit down and ask him. However, I wanted to, uh, I want to approach this morning's message as though we could, as though we had the opportunity to go and to sit down with with Nehemiah, and we want to touch base with this guy. We just want to ask, you know what what's your what's your secret? How do you have such a life of constancy and consistency spiritually? And I think we can glean from what he tells us here in these verses some things that help us. Some connections. The right connections that he maintains. the the message of the Bible this morning is changing times and unchanging faith. And I subtitled it in my notes here, the right connection. Let's look at the right connections that Nehemiah would direct us to. Because the bottom line is this. He realizes that God is the one who is always the same. So he maintains this right connection, connected to what God is doing. Let's see what pans out here, just in flesh and blood. Number one, what would he say, Nehemiah? How do you how do you remain so constant in your walk? How are you so consistent? How do you experience such success and what you are trying to accomplish for God? I think the first thing we would say is that well, one thing I've learned is I've I've learned to recognize God's grace. I've learned to recognize God's grace, and not so much at work in my own heart. I've learned to recognize the work of God's grace around me and the life of other people. I've called this a horizontal connection. He maintains a horizontal connection. What do we see here in in chapter 7? We see, God's gift of grace to Nehemiah is faithful men. You know, things have changed here. He's been busy overseeing the task of having this wall rebuilt, and that's the task. But now things are becoming a bit more diverse. So much so that he cannot be the man in charge of everything. He needs other men. He needs help to place in positions of leadership and responsibility so that everything doesn't have to come directly back to him. He needs faithful men. And what do we see here in verse 2? He says... I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man, and he feared God more than many. You know, here's, a, here's Nehemiah, he's looking around, and what does he see? He recognizes that God's work of grace is broader than just him. I mean, don't we sometimes get the Elijah syndrome? You know, it's just me. There's nobody else. It's just me. I'm, I'm in this walk and this journey all alone. You know, it be an easy thing for a Nehemiah to experience and the battles he's faced and the oppositions that's come. And even from those who are within his ranks that are, you know, they're communicating with the enemy. You know, he's like, who can I trust in this bunch? Yeah. But he's a man that recognizes that uh, that the grace of God is at work in the life of others. He's got this horizontal, he's connected with what God is doing on the horizontal level with other people around him. He calls Hananiah. Hanani, we we saw back in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Hanani is his brother. He's the one that came all the way to where Nehemiah was and gave him a report. He said, what's going on in Jerusalem? How are things? And he said, it's not good. The city's desolate." But why did he do that? The underlying assumption would be that Hanani had some concern about things. He wanted to see an improvement. And perhaps he felt like coming to Nehemiah in his position of of influence. Hey, maybe we've got some contacts here. So Hananiah has already demonstrated that he has a a heart for the things of God. He's concerned about the welfare of things in Jerusalem. So Hananiah is appointed as a civil leader there. Something like a mayor. Hananiah, on the other hand, is he becomes a military commander, and this has been compared in our day to kind of like a chief of police. You know, he's he's in charge of, of safety and those types of things. So, as what's Hananiah done? Okay, is, he's his brother. Is he just a, just a part of the family favoritism? No, he's a man that's, that's already demonstrated his care and concern about the things of God. But another aspect is this. Now, here's a guy, Hananiah. That Nehemiah knows him. This is his own flesh and blood. This is his brother. I know this man. I know what he's like. You now i remember him from when he was a little kid throwing rocks at me. I remember. And I've seen the work of grace take take place and form his heart. I remember one of the one of the wonderful experiences I had with my brother Keith, who's uh, passed away. He's with the Lord now. But Keith and I were, were closest of the, there were four children. I was the youngest. Keith was the second. And for some reason we, ended up, we wound up with a bedroom together and the middle brother, he was off somewhere. He was always kind of different. But Keith and I were very close friends. And what a precious relationship that, that God gave to us in the years that we had together and we could, that we could relate to one another on the spiritual level. Uh, we could pray together. And then in the, the last years of his life when he was bedridden, bedridden with MS that I could go and speak to Keith on a, on a spiritual level and not have a real concern about the issues of eternity with him. He was a man that was ready to go and we could we could share on a spiritual level and he could speak of such things. Now here's Han and I. He's thinking, Here's my brother. I know this man. I've known him for years and years, and I can testify to seeing the grace of God at work in his life. And what an encouragement, what encouragement that must have been to have someone who is your own flesh and blood brother to be walking with the Lord. You know, Nehemiah needs someone that he can trust. Someone that he knows. And he knows he can trust them. And Hananiah fits the bill. Hananiah, who's this guy? Well, we don't know a whole lot about him. He just says that, and I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, I put him in charge of Jerusalem. Scripture doesn't tell us much about him. But just by virtue of the fact that he's here, and then what little Nehemiah has to say. He says, for he was a faithful man. A faithful man. and he says he feared God more than many a faithful man what is that how do we define a faithful man you look at someone and say they're faithful what are you looking for well the idea behind someone who is faithful is one in whom faith or confidence can be placed a faithful person is a person i can place my faith in. If I give them a task to know that it's going to be done. You know, likely this man, Hananiah, had been noticed in his duty. He had proven himself already. This wasn't a shot in the dark for Nehemiah. He had observed. He had noticed. He had noted. And so he chooses him. It says here that he feared God. You know, this deals with more than just what's on the outside, doesn't it? It deals with the issues of the heart. And so as he saw the work of God at in this man's heart, he saw that there were heart issues taking place, that this was a man who lived with a right understanding of the true God. He understood that there was a true God and there was a, there was a way to live before him. And he lived his life in a way that reflected that he knew God, that he loved Him and he wanted to, to honor Him. So his life was marked by reverence. And somehow or another, as Nehemiah says here, he feared God more than many. And He rises. Above his peers. <laughs> and just something of the paradox of the Christian experience. How does, a, how, does a, how does a truly spiritual man rise above his peers? He rises by bowing. That's right. He rises. He comes up. He rises to the top because he's one who is low. He bows himself before the true and the living God. And so we see here in the life of Hananiah, what a blessing and encouragement to him, as he sees the, the responsibility the need arising, but he also sees that there are men, that God has raised up capable men. So as Nehemiah focuses, changes his focus here, the repopulating of the city, he can take these tasks, he can give them to others, and know that they are trustworthy men. You know, sometimes we have a difficulty of letting things go. Especially if maybe it's a ministry or... Maybe it's a person, you know, we've kind of nursed them to spiritual health and brought some kind of a spiritual life. And sometimes it's difficult just to say, I need to pass this off on to somebody else. Let somebody else have this responsibility. But we need to learn to recognize when others are ready to serve. You know, that's part of my responsibility as a pastor as I look out upon on the congregation and seeing particular needs that we have, looking and trying to discern as I spend time with you and, and watch you and... Get to know more of your lives just to see, you know, when when is this person ready to step into a position of unnecessary leadership but of servanthood? Ready to serve. Ready to serve in the context of the church. Learning to recognize, as Nehemiah does here, the grace of God at work in others. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one you know, sometimes I, I get into that mindset of, I think, Lord, I see where you've brought me through, and I see it took years, God, for you to get me here. How are you going to do it? This person's never going to see it. And after, have to remember, wait a minute, it wasn't me that got me here, it was God. It's God. Where He changes our thinking, and he, he directs our thoughts. He may even change our, see, with me, He changes the whole theology. How does He get us there? What's his task? And to learn to recognize that that God is able and God does his work to see gifts and to see strength. Here's the other side of that. Let me ask you a question. How evident, how evident in the eyes of other people, how evident in the eyes of your brothers and sisters in Christ is God's grace in you? You know, or are you the type of person that someone looks and thinks maybe not these exact words, but someone that would say of you, "Well, they're a faithful man. They're a faithful woman. A faithful young lady." You know, what's the testimony that's being communicated to other people from our lives, so that as needs do arise, that people feel like that they they can turn to us and. And say, you know, I believe that you're ready for this task. And I want I want you to have this. I think you need to take this on. You know, is the testimony of other people about us... Well, they're, they're a person that fears God. They demonstrate godliness in their life. They live as though there is a God as we talked about last week. They fear God. So there, there's the two sides. One is to learn to, to recognize the grace of God in the lives of other people. But also... Making the work of the grace of God in our own lives something apparent to people. And so how do I do that? Do I go around and flaunt around? Hey, I had twenty minutes of quiet time this morning. Aren't I great? I read three chapters out of my Bible. I'm reading through the Bible this year. You want me to do something? <laughs> Is that how we do that? No, it's just something as you as you are with people, it cannot help but come out in their speech. It cannot help but be demonstrated in their life. It's going to be clear. What's the clear testimony of those who know you best? What are you saying to them by your words and by your life? What's communicated? Is it that you truly love God? That you truly are a faithful person, a faithful believer? But Nehemiah he reco- he maintains this horizontal connection. He sees God's grace. He recognizes God's working. God's working. He's doing great things here. God has blessed the success. You know, he's seen this wall go up. He's seen the progress. You know, Nehemiah probably sat back and thought, wow, I didn't expect this. happen this way. But it's done. And he sees the task, the need for, for other people to, to be appointed to particular jobs. And he recognizes that God's grace is working the lives of other people. They're there. Provided. Second thing here is we see we ask Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah, what else? What else do you helps you? He communicates to us that he receives God's guidance. He receives God's guidance, and I call this the heavenly connection. The heavenly connection. You know, some things you just never outgrow, do you? Some of our, our wives, if they see that in their husbands. <laughs> So my husband just never grew up. <laughs> you know, one of the joys of, of of having children is is not just seeing the smiles on their faces, but also getting to play with their toys. Especially <laughs> those toys that you get. The, oh man, I love this when I was little, and you get it. Get them one just like it. You know, They've come out now with the, with the, It's it's like the original. You know, it's it's this. They get it out. Oh man, they're gonna love this. You never give them a chance to touch it. <laughs> Here, let me show you how to do this. You know. There are some joys in, in growing up, and and seeing the, the kids come up with things. And I've got actually I've got a few of my games and toys that I pulled out. So this is this is the original. Let's play. It's great great fun here. Well, Nehemiah he's a he's been a broken record for us here, hasn't he? It's like he's got one stick and one drum, and he goes to this book bounding it all the time. You know what it is, don't you? It comes back in verse five. He says, "And God put it into my heart." Well, how many times have we seen that, you know? God blessed the labor of my hands. God was at work. God moved. I prayed. This is a man that he just keeps coming back to this thing, doesn't he? But he just recognizes this he needs guidance. And that God is faithful. God is faithful to. Communicate as well. You know, there's a lot of books on on discovering God's will. I've probably got two or three in my office over here. I've got a couple more. I like to get. You know, how to discover God's will? How to discern God's will? You know, I think if you're sitting asking me, "Well, how do you know what God's will is?" I think he just is this too simple. He tells me. He tells me. <laughs> is that? I mean, is that absurd? You know, is God? God is. His will hidden from us somewhere and he's not gonna he's unwilling to tell us and to show us. I'm not gonna show you. It's like we've got to figure out something. And it just becomes clear, you know. That's one of the things that when I've got a decision to make, I just look for what becomes apparently clear to me. It's pretty clear. I if I've got a guess, I just wait. I put off decisions as long as I possibly can. And then if I have to make a decision, I say, Lord, this is as best I know, this is the decision I've got to go with. Uh, it's not always right. But you know, it's just very simple. He just recognizes that he had a decision to make, he's got something to get under God. He's got to figure out a way how how is he gonna get people back in the city? Nobody wants to live in Jerusalem, got the thing's a dump. They wants to live in Jerusalem? They've got their own cities they're in and they've got their home you know they are kind of fixed up pretty nice. they not they don't have the safety of the walls and all this kind of thing, but there's nobody bothering them either. Now, you start coming into Jerusalem, you're asking for trouble because of all the implications of what this city means. And everybody around there knows that. He's asking for trouble. I just do not live there. So he comes and in verse 5. What do I do here? Well, God put it into my heart. This comes back to it. You know, he, Again, it's one of those times you come back and you think, is this guy just never going to take credit for doing anything? You know, He's consistent. He recognizes the work of God. And he can't help but recognize God's directing. Now, he's not a man on his own. He's not a man making his decisions as so many times we do. Here's my decision, God. Here's what I'm going to do. Would you please bless it? No, I want the blessing of your decision. I just want to walk in obedience. And so he is a man who recognizes that God's the one who guides him. And God is the one who puts this into his mind of what he should do. He walks with God. He knows the ways of God, and he recognizes that the means that God accomplishes His work, God accomplishes His will, is by directing His people. How did God get that wall built back? He wasn't dropping stones from heaven. He wasn't moving them around. You know, nobody. Well, look, that rock moved. He's not doing it that way. He's using the hands and the means of men to accomplish His work. And Nehemiah just recognizes their decision to be made. I've got to decide well, how to do this. How are we going to get people back into Jerusalem? So he maintains this heavenly connection and just recognizes that God put this into my mind. You know, some there have been occasions there've been a solution to an issue come to my mind I thought, that's got to be of God because I never would have in a thousand years thought of that. Which is the essence of the gospel? Isn't it? That's the essence of the gospel. Who would have ever thought that the way for fallen sinners to be brought back into the right relationship with God would be through God sending His Son to die, God paying the price of the paying the penalty of the sins and offenses committed against Him? Who would have ever thought of that? No, and just every now and then, it was on a human level. We'll be praying about something and just something I just never thought about it before and all of a sudden like a boom. Yeah, I see that. Here's what we need to do. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. Now, we can be selfish and think, well, I've really gotten smart in my old age. Or we can be like Nehemiah and say, you know, the Lord put this into my mind. He put it in my mind and my heart to do this. And in this case, to assemble the nobles. Verse 5. To assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Ah, here's how we're going to do it. We've got a list of who came here by families and understanding there's very great significance in particular families, in particular 12 tribes of Israel. There's great significance in that. So I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first. That first group came. I've got it right here. This is the way we're going to do it. You know what? I get the sense with Nehemiah. You know, we spend a lot of times worried and fretting about missing God's will and needing God's guidance. I just get the sense of Nehemiah. It's not so much about getting guidance for a particular instance. You know, he didn't have to say, "All right, let me sit down. Let me write. A, I need a book here. How to discover God's will in this particular situation?" That's included. But I think for Nehemiah, you get the idea that it's more about a man who walks with a sense of dependence upon God and all things. God has got to help me. And then when this brain is functioning, it's out of function, that's because of the mercy and the goodness of God. So I don't take any credit for that. It's God's grace. And to recognize that God providentially directs our thoughts for His glory. So He maintains this horizontal connection to receive God's guidance. There was another thing Nehemiah might say. He's thought, well, what about Nehemiah? That's good. You know, you've told us it. And recognize God's God's... Grace and working other people, that God's working all around us, not just the others. We also receive God's guidance. What else? I think anybody would say this as we say. is You remember God's goals. Remember God's goals. And I call this the historic connection. He maintains a historic connection. Why? <laughs> Why? <coughs> this lengthy list here that we're not even going to take time to read this morning. Why does He give us this list of all these names, of all these people? that came back to Judah out of exile 90 years previously. And after all, could he not just a foot notice if you want to see this list? It's in Ezra's book. Ezra's memoirs. Why does he do that? You know, is something from 90 years previous really that important? I mean, this is the new day. You know, the walls built, the cities. This is the new day, man. New things. Let's just start from scratch here. I'll tell you why it's important. Because this list, this genealogy, it ties the events of this day with the promises of God from days before. He recognizes that. See, he's not coming into a situation where everything's starting brand new. He is recognizing that God has been at work throughout history. God has made some promises throughout history. God made specific promises to His people in history, and now it's important that we have this list of genealogies because it, it answers the question: Well, who are the who are the Jews? Why did Ezra or, or Zerubbabel? Why did they have that list made up? The first question be asked was who are truly Jews, who are those who are really qualified to come into this area, and some of the Jews, some of the priests, the Levites having specific tasks, if you were not of their line, you couldn't serve. It wasn't like, hey, I'll be a priest, you know. No. We're going to find the priestly family. We're going to find the Levites. We're going to find those who have been called and ordained by God in history's past. And guess what? They're here. God has kept some here. So when we come back to this city, guess what? We're not starting from scratch. We're coming back and God is doing what He said He would do. He is going to restore His people. So that list was made up there. There in Ezra. To answer the question, who are the true Jews? And if you couldn't prove your, your genealogical ties, you were put kind of on waiting. And you couldn't serve in some areas that you thought... Well, you know, we're from the priestly family. My mother told me we were, you know. Well, fine. You need to have some paperwork here. Let's prove this thing. So when Nehemiah comes to this genealogy, he just recognizes there's a proper way to do things here. The land was apportioned. Do you remember back in the Old Testament when they came into the promised land? The land was divided up to these tribes It wasn't just, all right, let's all go pack it up and live over there. No, we're going to get back to where our land is. There were certain people who were to live in Jerusalem. Ah, how are we going to repopulate this city? Easy. Let's find out who belongs here. Who belongs here according to the Word of God, to the ways of God. So he sees this. As it's part of the big picture of what God has been doing. This is, that's right, I I say he's remembering God's goals. It's not his goals. It's not Nehemiah's job to repopulate a city. It's God's task to rebuild a nation, which is. And he is doing it. So the return from exile was a new day. Yes, it was, but it was not a beginning from nothing. This is a people that have a history, they have a heritage, and it is a history of God's dealing and God's promises to them. So He's connected with His history. And He wants these people to be connected to this history, because this history is about the workings and the dealings and the greatness and the glory of God. You need to be tied into that. It's God who had covenanted with His people to restore his, this people. And this God was still in covenant with these people. He said, "You're going to go, but you're going to go for seventy years, and then I'm bringing you back." And they came back. So this generation here in Nehemiah chapter seven, this list, which actually is from from ninety years previous from Zerubbabel, this group, this genealogy represents the beneficiaries of the promises of God. They're the beneficiaries. The day of blessing has come upon them. And so Nehemiah, he wants them to see this. You're connected. You're connected to a heritage, to a history, to a past. Because this your connection is the God who made a covenant with our forefathers And He's fulfilling His promises in you. That's your connection. You know, the comfort in that is that we have a wonderful history and a heritage. And it's not necessarily about Cornerstone Chapel, but just of the faithfulness of God, being part of the family of God. You know, we don't have to come and reinvent the wheel. We don't have to come and rewrite all the confessions of faith. <laughs> you know, the men and women of God have gone before us. They've they've walked with God. We've seen the ways of God through history, and that God is continuing. You know, folks, we are we're connected here with the history. We're connected to the God of Abraham. We're connected to the promises of God to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'll tell you something, if that were if it weren't if that were not there, it'd be strictly for Jews, and that counts all of us out, best I can tell. We're connected. So there's a historical connection. So Nehemiah, he, he keeps sight here of God's goal, of what God's doing. What's God doing? Ultimately, He's doing this. He's bringing the people unto Himself for under one end, for the glory of His own name. God wants to be glorified much more than any of us want Him to, want him to be glorified, and He's going to see that it's done. And so, in Nehemiah, he sees it by referencing here, this genealogy here. this people... They weren't altogether lost. Exiled for 70 years, but not altogether lost. And they just simply came home. So what do we say in closing? I think this. Just as something of a summary here. You know, Nehemiah's constancy, his consistency of life and walk. He just maintained the right connections, didn't he? You know, he had the horizontal connection, seeing the grace of God at work around him. He had the heavenly connection of recognizing the need for God's guidance, and he recognized the historical connection. Man, this—we're just part of the plan. And God's not finished. We're part of the plan. God's plan. God's work. God's goals, and it's, it's happening. It's accomplishing here. And We're in that. We're in that line. But you know, he was able to focus on the big picture. He was able to keep the big picture in mind and in sight, so he wasn't distracted by the small incidentals. I mean, they had, let's face it, a lot of distractions, had a lot of things coming at him. But those, those just what wasn't going to become his focus. He kept his focus for him. This is the the big picture. What's the big picture? It's what's God's doing here. What's God doing? And the issues for Nehemiah as he addresses the problems and the confrontations and he has here, and the issues that don't become personal. It's not about Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah, I think, recognizes that if something were to happen to him, that God can raise up somebody else. He just, you know, you get the notion. I'm just, I'm just happen to be the guy here, <laughs> you know, and God's doing this. The issues didn't become personal with him. All is for God. All is for His glory. That's enough. What a constancy! What a stability of life we see. And I think that's important. It's and it's good to see that. It's encouraging to see that. Again, we know he he had those days, just like we do. But to see the consistency of life he presents to us—a wonderful model—a man who recognizes the, God, the grace of God going on around him, the man who receives his guidance from from God, the guy, and the members that God has higher goals than we do. And he desires to accomplish that much more than we do. He'll do it. And what a freedom that is for us to walk with Him and say, Lord, You do what You want to do. I want to be a part of it. Let us be a part. Let me be a part personally. Let us be a part here at Cornerstone Chapel. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us and thank You for servant of God like Nehemiah. We know a man has had his imperfections and his sin. But what encouragement to look and to see that, that you accomplished great things in the perspective that he maintained, the constancy of life. When so much was accomplished, we were mindful of, of Moses who we know according to your decrees and your providences that Things happened as they as they would, and as they would bring honor and glory to you. Yet a man who who missed out because of sin, and he did not enter into that promised land because of sin. So we thank you for a man of the nature of Nehemiah. Give us an indication of something of somewhat of what it is to. To receive the benefits of obedience and your blessing. Lord, I ask you to encourage our hearts and not to be so overcome by our inability and our failures and our weakness, but Lord, to, to look to you and to take the model that He gives us here and to, Lord, to ask, we ask it to be true of us. We pray this in Jesus' name.